Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. forward in you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, training mission number four, we're just going to dive right in. Life is designed to make you a ruler, and not like a yardstick ruler or like a, you know, a foot-long ruler. This is, no, 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 to rule and to reign with God, to have uh, dominion and to have judgment uh, according to God's will. That's what life is designed to transform you and raise you up. God desires to transform his sons and daughters so that you can rule and reign with him. Imagine that. I want you to pause and imagine what image comes to mind. If you were to kind of like go into your imagination, what would it look like for you to rule and reign with God in your life? What does that mean? That's what we're going to get into this morning. In order for us to grow, to become rulers, we must learn how to exercise judgment according to God's Word and His Spirit. And the great news is that God Himself transforms you and I and inspires us to be leaders, His sons and daughters, reflecting who He is out in the world. So you and I are designed to judge and rule over the nations. I don't know if you knew that, but God's desire... You've been designed to judge and rule over the nations. This sounds kind of like, whoa, this is way above my pay grade this morning. Yeah, this is totally above all our pay grades. What we're going to do is we're going to look at kind of the 10,000-foot view and then bring it down into kind of real life. So I want to set this up. Uh, We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6. Some of our life groups have been kind of going through 1 Corinthians together. And uh, to kind of set this up, the believers in the church in Corinth were... Uh, There was so much division and kind of uh, infighting that not only they weren't handling it kind of uh, in the biblical way. They weren't going right to the person and say, hey, what you did or what you said offended me. No, no, no. They were taking their offense to the pagan Roman courts and suing other believers. And Paul kind of has some thoughts about this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. It says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of to the saints? Verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are going to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? And so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Saints, the saints, these aren't just the special apostles. These are, Paul says, the saints will judge the world. The saints will judge angels. His design is to grow you up into that authority. But we can't start, uh, when I was a campus minister at K-State, we worked with the football team a little bit, and one of the guys there, he was a defensive lineman, 
and uh, anyway, it's long, it's long in the past. Definitely was juicing on the offseason, I'll tell you that. So, um, so he, uh, he had broken the bench press record for the football team at like, I don't know, it was like 695 pounds. And then the guy got 750-pound bench press. The guy, and he just shattered records. Could you imagine bench pressing 750 pounds? And that metal bar is definitely bending. But he didn't wake up yesterday and start brenching 750 pounds. No, no, no. About a decade ago, he got in the gym and started working out. And then a little bit later, he started cheating. But and that's besides the point. <laughs> besides the point. But the point being is, you know, none of us can kind of walk in the gym and just start, you know, repping out max weight. It, it starts by just getting in there. And, uh, you know, for, it's funny, a couple months ago, I started working out again. You know, hurt myself doing CrossFit a long time ago, so it's a little hard. But I started doing push-ups. But I'm on my knees doing them push-ups, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, man, the humiliation, the pride, you know, it's just like, hey, I'm built for these knee push-ups right now, and we're building back up. We're building back up. Jesus said this in Luke 16, it says, the one who's faithful in little is also faithful in much. Since we are called to judge and rule over the earth, we need to be incrementally lifting more and more weight as we learn how to exercise righteous judgment in this life. I'll say this, rulers don't run and runners don't rule. Rulers don't run. They embrace life's challenges. They don't run away from it. They take it on and use it to grow and mature who they are because they've embraced that, man, life's problems are a way that we develop and grow up as sons and daughters of God. And so runners don't rule when they lead. So as God's sons and daughters of the Most High God, we have to keep this end in mind, to learn to rule and to reign with God. Everything should be pointed towards these ends. Revelation 2 says this, The one who conquers and the one who keeps my works to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. This is Jesus speaking. And he's saying, hey, I'm giving you all my authority. I will give you authority over the nations. Now it's, yeah, yeah, it's easy to think, oh, that's Jesus talking about Jesus. No, 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 that's Jesus talking about his sons and daughters. But this presents a massive problem. Right, this, All this setup, it presents a little massive problem because we end up not being able to control our sexuality, our forks, our tongues, and we want to grow up and rule over the earth. Life is designed to make you a ruler, and the only way we become rulers is by embracing this training routine that God has us in. And we progressively learn to exercise judgment, righteous judgment, on the earth. The glaring problem is we don't like holding each other accountable and accepting responsibility. That's one of the downsides of our broken flesh. Uh, we like the, uh, we, 
We like the escape hatches. We like the shortcuts. We like the ways in which we can kind of speed this along. If we could kind of fast track me growing up in God. If we could kind of hit the, you know, get that McDonald's kind of like discipleship, you know, just really fast. That would be awesome. But we end up playing games. And the game is, a lot of times we play is, I won't tell if you don't tell. I won't point out anything in your life as long as you don't do that with me. And we can kind of make peace with this. Yeah, we see, we see some things in each other's lives, but we're just not going to. Because I don't want to be challenged. I, because when I get challenged, I feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel bad. And therefore, I don't like that feeling. So we'll just kind of stay surface. And I won't tell if you don't tell. If you won't judge me, I won't judge you. It lets everybody off the hook by having to live by God's standard. So instead of being God-centered, we, re- we turn man-centered because it's all about our comfort and our preferences instead of God's. Our culture's highest value is that I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. And the only way I can do that is if you don't hold me accountable to the Word of God. Right? Sometimes internally... We may think these thoughts because when we hold each other accountable to God's word, it doesn't, again, doesn't make us feel good about ourselves, make us feel bad, need to repent. It bruises our egos because we're not Christ-centered. But I will say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you say, man, I have followed Christ, well, I'll say this. Your ego should be crucified. Amen. Your ego should be crucified. You should be looking for opportunities for that ego to be crucified. And if you don't do it voluntarily, a lot of times God will introduce circumstances in your life so that ego gets crucified at the end of the day. So we can either agree with the Lord, yes, Lord, crucify. Crucify this flesh of mine, the stubbornness of mine, these strongholds of mine. Or a lot of times God will orchestrate because he's faithful and loves you. And he wants to see you not only author your faith, but he wants to see you finish your faith. Jesus said, if anyone isn't willing to take up his cross, isn't worthy of being my disciple. Which is, you got to kill your old self. And that new life is hidden in God, in that new life. And that new life comes out when we die, when we surrender, when we yield to God. If we're to judge and rule, it begins with this. Number one, know well your spheres of authority. Know well your spheres of authority. We touched on this last week, same scripture, same parable, but I wanted to highlight a little different point. Luke 19, verse 12. Jesus was sharing a parable of what the kingdom of God's like. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come, or occupy until I return. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. But when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful with little, 
you shall have authority over ten cities. No way. That makes a little bit of a jump, right? It's like you've been faithful with a little bit of money. Now I'm going to give you authority over cities. Glitch. Mind glitch. What does that mean? When you're reading through the scriptures, you need to ask, so start asking really good questions. I don't understand that. What does that mean? And go search it out. They took what God had given them and they invested it and stewarded it for it to grow. Now, imagine you were that person that took this bit of money and through a certain set of time, seems like a little bit of time, that you were given to kind of steward that money. I bet you that person wasn't doing 20 different things, trying to make little, little money here and there in 20 different streams. He's probably focusing on one or two main areas that are going to be, man, I'm going to get excellent at this. Man, I'm going to get so good. I'm going to be the best person that does this. How do you get an increase? It's, you have that kind of mindset. Man, I want to do it better than anybody else. But it's usually one or two things. That gets that great increase. Why am I sharing all this? In your spheres of influence, spheres of authority, it's called your oikos. It's the Greek word for it. It's the oikos. It's your sphere of authority. And God wants you to know those spheres of authority very well because those are your places. You practice how to rule and reign with God, how to exert judgment. That's leadership. Leadership is not only stewarding money, but stewarding people. And God's where God takes your talents, gifts, and abilities. God gave those to you so that you could invest them in other people. And God's got this original design that He wants to come out because there's plans that He has for you. You're His masterpiece. There's works for you to walk in that He's planned for you long ago. But God requires increase in whatever it is he gives us. We've got to steward it. Imagine a father who owns a construction business. And he's been in the construction world for, you know, 30, 40 years. And he's got a young teenage son. And the dream of that uh, business owner is that one day I want to pass this along to my son. I, I want this business to be my son's. And so... Uh, but he probably doesn't start his son out at the project table, right, at the, at the design table. He probably starts his son off way early being the gopher, right? Go for the hammer, go for the nails, just, just being a runner. And then slowly he trains his son to take on more and more responsibility, more and more bigger jobs, you know, he lets him kind of grow in a season, then kind of gives him a little more. And then eventually, yeah, yeah, after, after a handful of years, handful of intentional, methodical training and moving him up so that his knowledge base grows, so that it's just the same as the father's, that's exactly what God is doing with us. And Jesus, God the Father has had a family business in operation on this planet for a super long time. And he has chosen you to not only be adopted into that family, but to be a part of that family business. So what are the spheres that God has given you? Describe, oh, this is a note to me. Describe how God uses those spheres. Okay, all right, I'll describe it. 
Thanks, notes. Yeah. Nice. So, what are your spheres? Well, let's just start with you. You and God. Listening to and being responsive to God's Word and His Holy Spirit. That's step one. This is His training ground. He's training you to learn how to rule and reign with the Spirit. How about you and your roommate? Ooh, that was good. that's kind of the next step. You and a roommate. You and a roommate or roommates now live in this home that y'all are bringing kind of a lot of wonderful things to the table and some baggage. We can kind of, and some habits, right? There's always that one that just doesn't want to do the dishes. So anyway, uh, you and your roommate, learning how to exercise authority, learning how to, oh, there's some conflict here. Oh, hey, instead of me blabbing to all the other roommates about how Susie offended me. No, no, no. I'm going to go right to Susie. I'm going to go right to her and say, hey, hey, what you said kind of offended me. Can we work this out? Man, what happened? Why would you say that? Oh, I understand you better. Not I'm going to come and attack you, but man, I understand you better. Wow, this is really good. That's, these are baby steps on learning how to rule and reign with God. How about you and a, your possible spouse if you're married? God has given you another human heart to steward, men, to steward. Your job is to steward their heart before the Lord, to serve, to love, to eat. Yeah, 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 that's good too, but, and then to die. That partner God has given you so that you die. And a lot of those on-ramps in those first few years of marriages, those first big arguments, it's because a lot of times it's exposing issues that need to die, that need to be repented of, that needed to be moved beyond immaturity and childishness and into a place of maturity. Because now you're stewarding another person's life and their calling together. Or when you have kids, kind of, man, leading them in the way of the Lord. Learn teaching them how to rule and reign with God as you're ruling and reigning with God. How about your coworkers, your, your spheres of influence? We're, or again, we're in your spheres of influence in the sense of what kind of different hats do you wear during the week? Well, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm a disciple. I got that hat. All right, well, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Well, for me, you know, I'm a pastor. So, so, and then you've got, I got coach sometimes. Man, coach, I like coaching. So you got all these kind of hats. What are your spheres of influence? And God wants you to intentionally know those well and focus everything you've got with exerting and growing in your rulership and authority in those places of influence. Number two, we have to learn how to judge. Discern how to judge And as soon as I said the word judge, I'm sure earlier on in the message, this verse has come to mind. Matthew 7, Jesus said this, do not judge or you too will be judged. Man, this is the verse that like my generation, it was John 3.16 because almost every football game there would be a dude with a John 3.16 sign at the, uh, you know, for the field goal and you'd see it almost every week. That was the most popular especially because of Billy Graham, that was the most popular. But I think this now has superseded as the verse that most pagan people know. Do not judge, lest ye be judged, or you too will be judged. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. He goes on. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and don't notice the log that's in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your your eye when there's a log in your own? You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck of your brother's eye. Well, that's the whole context of this. Well, this is a little bit different than just shut up. Right, right? Because that's kind of how it gets interpreted. Yeah, don't judge, am I right? Meaning, shut your pie hole. I don't want you, we don't want any judgment here. But this is a little bit different. We latch on to the first sentence and we miss the whole spirit of the package or this passage. It's interesting. Jesus chooses this eye as a metaphor. Man, an eye, super sensitive. But he says, like, the standard you use, it'll be used back to you. So if I use the standard of God's word to judge others, then I need to expect that I'm going to get the word of God as that same standard judged back to me. That's what that's saying. Well, I'm totally comfortable with that. I'm totally comfortable with the fact that you're going to hold me back to a biblical standard. Absolutely, I'll receive that. But that also gives me permission that if I'm okay with that, then I have a little bit of freedom to begin speaking, begin saying some things. Again, it's interesting. He chooses I as a metaphor. It's sensitive. It really hurts. Man, you get something in context. Who wears context? Ever get a piece of pe- like a pebble or in there or something and it just like agitates and it's just all day and you can't get it out and it hurts. And it's like, man, when you have an eye pain, it's kind of like a back pain where it's just like, or a tooth pain. It's like everything's focused on that. <laughs> A lot of things could be going on, but it's like, I'm thinking about my eye and my contacts. So what's judgment? What is judgment? It's saying, hey, man, you've got something in your eye. It's not about revenge. It's not about hurting people. It's about I'm trying to help you. Trying to help you. It's about helping someone see the consequences of what their actions are producing so they can actually turn from that. But a lot of times people are completely oblivious to the fact of their actions impacting other people. But I will say this, the moment you push the judgment button, you're setting in motion one of the most delicate mechanisms in the whole universe. It can really hurt you if you don't handle it the right way. Okay? So... Yes, we do have permission, but we also have to do it in the Lord's way. And a lot of times when there's been kind of judgment against the church about judging, a lot of times it comes with the same mean spirit that the world offers. But that's not the Lord. So what do we do? How do we exert judgment? Well, from this verse of what Jesus just told us, first, take the log out. Take the log out. You've got to know whatever you're judging in someone else, if it's still in you, it's going to backfire big time, right? Because it's like, man, I'm really burdened by this thing that's going on in this other person's life. Oh, man, I'm going to say something. And then you say something, and the guy's like, well, what about you and this? And then the argument (laughs) loses its power. It's now back on you. And yes, you should have taken the log out of your own eye before you went to that brother and said something. 
What do you, and then, so let's say you took the log out. The second is, we, God gives us permission to judge the saints by the saints. Judging people within the church, not judging people outside the church. I don't know. This, is, this kind of starts, it's I first start here, and then God allows me to grow in my ability to rule and reign with the people of God that he puts around you. 1 Peter 4 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Oh, man, it should start here. We shouldn't be known for all our opinions about how broken the fallen evil world system is. Yeah, we all know that. But are we aware of kind of the system within your life group or your close friends? The only way that the saints are going to get free is if we start holding each other to biblical accountability, to the Word of God, to bring to the end of the game of I won't tell if you won't tell. Like, no, no, no. That's not the kind of community God desires to build. And what's funny is that if you start exposing, man, this is what's kind of my brokenness, and you start kind of cracking that chest open, what's shocking is that everything inside of you says, man, you're the only one that suffers from that. You're the only one that thinks that. You're the only one that has that life story. And then you start cracking it open, and everyone starts around you like, oh, my gosh, I think, I think the same thing. Man, I've had that same experience. Oh, my gosh, I came from the same life story. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, I thought I was all alone. Man, God provides a people. And that's why it's essential. Man, if you love me, judge me biblically. If you love me, judge me biblically. And that's why it's essential to have a strong, healthy group of godly people around you. Man, we live in a culture that is uh, inundated with propaganda. Inundated with, man, is that true? Man, is that true? Man, is that true? Man, how important it is for God's people to get together and it's like, hey, what are you seeing? What are we seeing? All right, let's judge that together. Let's judge that according to God's word and God's way. All right, all right, we're learning. We're learning here. Or every wife whose husband is acting out, you need a healthy group of people so that other people can help judge that situation. There's so many times early on in my marriage with, <laughs> with Becky, man, and I've shared this before. I thought I had anger under control before I got married. And then a whole new kind of layer of the onion got exposed. And uh, I don't know. Uh, there were times where I would act out and in a very immature, angry way. And that would scare my wife. And she's like, hey, I'm going to call Pastor John if you don't stop. <laughs> Guess what stopped immediately? We need people in our life that will help judge things rightly. Not in a mean spirit, but to come and help. I want to judge it. We want to judge it accurately. And we greatly exponentially grow in our ability to rule and reign with Christ if we get on this level with one another. This is where we grow. And then we get step three. Then if we've done that, taking the log out, we're faithful with, you know, exerting judgment, receiving correction and judgment. Man, that's a healthy person. Then that person is actually kind of like built and made and, and capable of exerting judgment out in the world. And one of the ways that the early church set this up was, man, the, the Roman court system was so defunct, it took two to three years to even hear cases. And so what the believers in these little villages would do is they became 
well known for good judgment. They became well known for good moral people that they could rely on and trust. And so they set up courts, Christian courts, within the Roman system so that they could hear cases because they trusted the Christians to exert good judgment. Now that, that's beautiful. And we may be, you know, in a season in our, in our society, in our culture, where it, there may be a need for God to pioneer and uh, begin to design and create new ways for us to begin to serve the world and our city. So, last point is don't cut the cocoon. As we're learning to discern how to judge, don't cut the cocoon. And it's a very familiar, popular story, but, you know, it's, it's a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, right? And in that process, it goes into a cocoon. Now, let's say one day this young boy finds this little cocoon and, and sees this butterfly trying to break out of that cocoon, and that young little boy sees this little butterfly, this precious little beautiful butterfly suffering and struggling. And so he comes along and he takes off the things of the, of the cocoon. And what happens is that butterfly falls to the ground and dies. Well, I thought that little boy was just trying to help it out. No, no, no. The process by which that butterfly gets that cocoon out is actually the process that builds his muscles so that when he gets out of that cocoon, he can actually fly away. But sometimes Christians are really good at taking away the cocoon and avoiding the resistance that God wants in their life to actually grow them up. And so our compassion and our empathy a lot of times can come along and to rescue them out of the process by which God wants them to grow, to develop. So we got, we got to be careful when we're exerting judgment. We have to discern, man, is this maybe a process that God has them on that, man, if I step in to try to rescue them out of, I'm actually maybe resisting the will of God in their life. So don't cut the cocoon. Proverbs 12.10 says, The compassion of the wicked is cruel. The compassion of the wicked. Man, just our welfare system. Case in point, the best example. Man, we wanted to kind of help. But in that process, we incentivized men and women getting divorced or living separately so that the woman could get the payment, the welfare check. And we incentivized the dissolution of families across our country. Man, the compassion of the wicked is cruel. And in this generation, we kind of have lawnmower parents where we go ahead and kind of remove all the obstacles for my child so they can have this wonderful life. And I'll tell you, that's a, that's a path towards destruction. Like, you got to let them go through some things so that they grow. All right, enough. Uh, if you love me, don't cut my cocoon. All right. Well, so training mission number four, evaluate your rulership. Evaluate your rulership. Look at your spheres of influence with your Lord, with the Lord, with your roommate, with maybe a spouse, with children. Look at, or your coworkers. Maybe you've got different roles at, at work. Maybe you've got two or three hats at work. Look at your spheres of influence. And then ask the Lord, God, this week I pray that you would give me help and direction 
to increase my ability not to run from things, but to embrace the challenges that you have for me in these fears. And, God, give me help to increase my rulership in this area. Not being passive, not running from it, but, God, I pray that you would help me engage. Engage with my wife. Engage with my kids. Engage on a whole new level at work. Engage with God. Look at your spheres of influence and ask God, God, where can I raise my game? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that Lord, that you have made us to rule and reign with you. And, Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to believe because, God, we know how messed up we are. God, we know how uh, we fall short, how far we fall short of, God, Jesus. But, Father, I pray that you would truly raise up your sons and daughters to be fathers and mothers in this generation. Lord, fathers and mothers that exert your authority, that rule and reign with you well in your spirit and with your word. Father, I pray that you would help us learn how to judge righteously. And Father, I pray that you would help us learn how to take the logs out of our own eyes so that we can take out the specks in others, so that we can serve others, so that we can help others. So Father, thank you for this training process that you have us on. Let us embrace it with everything that we've got focusing on everything that we've got on uh, honoring you, glorifying you, seeing your kingdom grow, uh, expanding your family business in this generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.